Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Let's hit it! And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. Today, we're going to be talking about peace of mind because money matters. Uh, But before I introduce our guest, I always like to do a couple of shout outs. And one I always have to just uh, give gratitude to is the Mark Arneson Band. They are so kind to let us use their opening music. And I just I just love their song, Clarion Call. I think it's just really uplifting. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to talk to real people who are in the trenches and who get this uh, disease. And that means people all around the world. So if you are living with dementia or if you are a family member um, caring for a loved one, if you are a business professional, an author, a singer, a songwriter, a movie director, a researcher, an advocate, everyone has a place because I don't think we can make sustainable change unless we are listening and being inclusive in the conversation. Now, as far as shout outs go today, I really need everyone to understand Mods Awards is open, and uh, their their application process is open until May 16th. This is where you can apply, being an individual or an organization that is doing something great in the industry of dementia. How are you changing things moving forward? And you can win five to twenty-five thousand dollars, not for what you're gonna do, but for what you've already done. So go to modsawards.org. And then on April 6th, our friends who made this documentary called Determined Fighting Alzheimer's is going to air on PBS. So make sure that you check that out. Um, It's just a wonderful, wonderful program with great insights. And of course, if you haven't visited um, Dementia Map, our global resource directory that we created, uh, please check that out. It's great not only for family and friends, but for professionals government agencies, doctors, you name it. We've got over 150 categories that people can search. 
Um, it's free to access. No information is needed to access that information. And if you want to be a resource um, on the site, uh, you can easily sign up. There's a free one as well as to enhance. Um, and if you want a tour, because it's much more than just a resource directory, offers a calendar of events, a blog, a glossary of terms, and so much more, um, please reach out to me at radio at Alzheimer's Speaks. The other thing I want to mention is support is so needed. And Arthur's Senior Care is still sponsoring Arthur's Memory Cafe, which we do the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month. So tomorrow at 1 o'clock, we're going to be meeting virtually again, and anybody is welcome to join us. Also, Brookdale North Oaks has typically an in-person group that supports the um, care partner, but also has respite for the person living with dementia. They meet on the last Wednesday of each month at 10 a.m. Central. Uh, we are going to be meeting virtually this month uh, once again, um, just so that we have things lined up. We want to make sure that we've got that support, that respite support for people. Um, and then on April 20th, uh, Artist Senior Living is sponsoring a program I'm doing virtually called As the Cookie Crumbles. That'll be 5.30 to 6.30. And then in Winona, Minnesota, their dementia-friendly community is doing a week-long educational um, fair. And I will be down in Winona, Minnesota uh, Thursday, April 7th, and Friday, April 8th, doing two um, movie screenings of the film A Timeless Love, and then we do a talk back after that as well. All of those are free. You can uh, just go to alzheimerspeaks.com for more information there. Now, I also want to shout out to the Alls authors. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but if you're not, you're going to want to be. If you're caring for a loved one with dementia, you want to check allsauthors.com out. They're a global community of authors writing about Alzheimer's and a variety of different forms of dementias from a personal experience focus. They have the most comprehensive collection of hundreds of carefully vetted books and blogs covering all different types of caring situations. And their authors' personal stories, um, you know, they share their painful lessons learned, and we've all been through them. But it can really give you comfort and insight into your own journey that you're dealing with. Plus, they have a fabulous uh, podcast called Untangling Alzheimer's and Dementia, and you can find that on any of your podcast platforms. So check out allsauthors.com and get more information. We're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner about the Footbar Walker, and then we're going to be right back with our guests talking about Money Matters. I love the Footbar Walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. 
I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Well, we are back. If you haven't checked that out, uh, go check out the Foot Bar Walker and also the Adaptive Equipment Caregiving Corner. They have tons of videos and great resources on there uh, for all different types of things, not just dementia, but if you've got a hip replaced or a knee, um, just fabulous, fabulous equipment. So let's talk about our wealth management style and what what that means to us and how we can live our best lives financially. I'm really lucky that we got uh, to have on today with us Merz Tariq. He's a certified financial planner and he's a partner at Peace of Mind Wealth Management. I love the title. That alone just makes me feel comfortable. His focus is to work with people close or ready to retirement to help them navigate not just the investment side, but also other major decisions that come with retirement. Their company is a holistic financial planning company that works in the world of investing, retirement planning, taxes, and estate planning. So welcome, Merz. I'm thrilled to have you on the show with us today. Hey, Lori. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it'll be fun. The hour goes by so dang fast on these things. Um, and I think this is a topic that is so important to so many. Um, you're seeing articles every day about you know, people who have left their jobs and are regretting leaving their jobs or who are trying to refine themselves um, and, you know, figure out, do they have enough money to retire? I mean, there's just so many different angles that people are really struggling with these days. But before we dive into that financial end, um, which is our primary uh, topic today, I always like to ask my guests if they have been personally touched in their own family or circle of friends by dementia. Yeah, so in my own family, personally, no, I have not been touched by it. Um, I still, my parents are still around, um, and and I have also my wife and uh, in-laws there. So um, who knows what the future holds? But in the world that I work in, we work with, like you said, people close to retirement or are already well into retirement. And so some of that, I have some experience there with, you know, maybe a client calls up and they say that they're starting to see some of the early signs of things happening and and what do we need to be thinking about there from a financial perspective and all these different things so um i've got a little bit of it from from that perspective in in my in my career yeah 
Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the questions I want to ask, because I think a lot of people don't even know what the heck this word means, and that is the word fiduciary. Um, what is it and why is it so important, especially in your industry? Yeah, so the fiduciary word has been thrown around a lot here recently. I would say recently in the last five years, um, the concept of a fiduciary, just to give you the the definition, basically, a fiduciary is someone who puts their client's interest ahead of their own. And so you may say, well, why does that even have to be a thought? Why would it ever be that type of concept that they were out there to take care of themselves before taking care of the client? And if you go way back um, into, you know, the, the the early 80s, 90s, where you could you could work with a, a stockbroker or someone like that. And the fiduciary standard really wasn't around then. It was kind of you would you would put money into the market, so you would work with a broker, and everyone was making money. Uh, the client was making money because the stock market was roaring. It was hard to pick a bad investment. Everything was kind of working in the 80s and 90s. And on, on the other side of that, the brokers got paid very well. They would get paid commissions based off of transactions and stuff like that. Well, then we had uh, some stock market crashes like 2000, 2001, 2002, 2008, different things would happen where, hey, maybe the stock market isn't that safe. Maybe there is actually a lot of risk in the markets, and it's not just buy everything and make money and also pay commissions. People were happy to pay commissions when they knew they were also making money. So that's where the industry started to change, and they introduced the concept a little bit of this fiduciary advisor, someone who's required by law to put their client's interest ahead of their own. So what that means to the client is basically saying, if there is a recommendation that is made, maybe for a fund, maybe for an investment style, an insurance product, whatever it is, you know that the, the advisor is not self-serving in that recommendation. Uh, they're not allowed to be. They have to prove if it went to the, a case of being uh, going in a, a, a lawsuit or something like that, the advisor has to physically be able to prove that they were acting in the client's best interest. So um, not every advisor is a fiduciary. That's also something important to understand. Some advisors are just working under a, wor a world of what's called suitability, which is fine, and, and it, it can work. Suitability basically means um, I'm just presenting something that should be pretty good for the client, but maybe not the best for the client. And a lot of times that happens to be if you work with a, a uh, what we would call a wirehouse, where they're limited in their offerings. If you're working with Morgan Stanley, Morgan Stanley can't sell you Wells Fargo products. They can only sell what, what, what Morgan Stanley has available. And so it has to be suitable to the client. Um, but on the fiduciary side, if, if you're wondering, hey, is my advisor a fiduciary, I would ask them. And typically that comes from the licensing. Um, comes from some what we call FINRA licensing, which are a bunch of numbers. So I have a Series 65 license. That requires me to be a fiduciary. But also on top of that, myself and my partner, we both have our CFPs, Certified Financial Planners, and that also comes with the fiduciary standard as well. Okay. I know when I sold real estate for 25 years, that became a really big thing. And I started out at a, a small company and I'm, I never thought that an agent would not do what was best for the client. And then I went to a big company and I was shocked how motivated people were by their commission splits 
And I was like, really? I, I mean, I was just shocked. So I think this is something that happens um, more often than not. And it's a subtle thing. And it's kind of the way it used to be. But it's really, really important for you to know and for you to ask that, that question. Um, you know, it's it's critical. It, it just really is that you know what you're paying for and, you know, what services you're going to get from somebody. And, you know, bottom line to me, it comes down to trust. <clears throat> are you working? Absolutely. Are you- I, yeah. My, my world is very much a trust-based world. I think, you know, you, you work with someone and it takes a while to build that rapport and eventually you get to where you trust them with all the decisions that, uh, or all the recommendations. Um, and, and so that takes time and it takes a comfort level and, you know, you put a lot of both both parties put a lot of work into it. You as the client, you're opening your whole world to us so that we can understand your situation and make make some recommendations and help you through this whole process. And and you know, it's there's a lot there once you decide to sit down and actually work with an advisor. Exactly, exactly. Well, and it can be an intimidating process. So I think even by somebody asking that question, um, I think it's empowering to the consumer just even know these phrases and what they mean um, ahead of time. I think it, it sets you up for a more comfortable uh, situation. The other one is, you know, the term you hear all the time is power of attorney. And, you know, how, how would that come into, what is that? And then how does that come into play when you're dealing with your finances? So a power of attorney is a very um, powerful and important document uh, and there's various different types of powers of attorney. We don't need to get into all the nuances, but essentially the power of attorney, you're giving someone powers to make decisions on your behalf. Um, typically, that's coming, usually we see that coming into play, into play if someone has become uh, incapacitated, they're not in a position to make financial decisions uh, or health-related health decisions. That's where a power of attorney, and there's different types, medical, uh, durable, limited, all these different types, but the concept is all the same. You're granting certain powers, whether it's to make transactions for you, whether it's to make medical decisions for you, whether it's to be able to sign off on your checkbook for you. Um, you're granting someone that you tr- hopefully trust uh, to act really in your favor, in your stead, when you're not able to make decisions. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be when someone is incapacitated. It could just be a husband and wife want to have each other as power of attorney so that they don't have to run around to get each other's signatures. If there's that level of trust there, um, that makes a lot of sense too. So uh, another really, really important one is uh, let's say you've got a kid who just turned um, 18 and uh, once someone turns 18, in most states they're now looked at as uh, no longer as a minor. So the parent no longer has access to what they think would be a normal thing. Say your kid ends up in the hospital and they're above 18, the parent really technically does not have access to medical records and to be able to ask questions unless they have some type of authorization, typically a power of attorney or some type of HIPAA authorization um, that would get, get them access. So even something like that where you think, well, it's my kid, I should have full access. Well, now your kid's an adult and unless you don't have the power of attorney, that grants you access and, 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 and some, some uh, power as far as things you can do for your child, your now adult child, um, 
it, it, it just kind of goes over your head sometimes. So the power of attorney is a very, very powerful and, and very needed document. We think everyone should have one. It doesn't, you can, you can get it drawn up from an attorney that, or you can even get it done online. It's a very simple document. All you're doing is stating what type of powers they would have and uh, who you want this person to be. Yep. And I think, you know, online is fine as long as you, you know what you're signing and the ramifications of it. If you haven't had one before and don't really understand it, it's probably worth talking, you know, with a, with an elder law attorney, but you know, I am a firm believer in power of attorneys. You know, our kids should be getting these before graduation, <laughs> you know, or upon graduating, um, because you don't know what's going to happen. Just like with your example of the husband and wife, you don't know when one of us might get in a car accident or have a heart attack or, you know, and you need access to things. And then all of a sudden you don't know that you don't have access until you need access sometimes. <laughs> And right. then it's too, and then it's too late, especially if someone's in a coma or um, you know uncapacitated, and, and it just it complicates things. It adds so much stress. So to have this in line ahead of time, I, I think just um, alleviates so much pain and so much stress when when crisis hits. And sooner or later, it seems like it it hits all of us at one time or another. So having those ducks in a row are really, really important. Why do you think it's important for people to really think out their retirement plan and have it be well-focused? And, you know, for some people focus, they think of going in and just, you know, being very niche oriented or, and others look at it as being real broad scope and taking in all the would-haves and could-haves that could happen. Um, in our life. So why don't you explain what you mean by focused retirement plan and why it's important? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, again, what we do in our office and our firm is we work with people close to retirement or already in retirement. So we look at that as a different stage of life than say your 30 year old. Your 30 year old is you know, maybe bouncing between a couple of jobs, but their whole goal and purpose hopefully is to start growing their wealth. So we would say that they're in the accumulation phase of their life, putting mm-hmm. money into those various retirement buckets and trying to save as much as they can so they can reach this concept of retirement that is still 30 some odd years away. That is a different type of planning. That is really uh, um, accumulation planning. Where do we put money? What's the best place to put money? Where do we? What funds do we use? And and all these different ways to grow your wealth. Once you get close to retirement, though, you're you're kind of transitioning your mindset a little bit to, all right, I've I've done a good job. I've got some assets saved up. I'm a few few years out from retirement, or five or ten years out from retirement. But now I need my mind to shift a little bit away from the accumulation phase, and now transition into the retirement phase, which is basically, you know, we're going from accumulating to now potentially having to spend down our own assets, which is a whole nother conversation and a whole nother um, uh, psychological type of uh, thing to wrap your brain around that you've been saving for 40 some odd years and now you got to start spending this money. Um, that's a whole nother conversation. But retirement focus, we, we start to look at all the things and uh, a, a basic level of that is basically saying, hey, here's where we are, here's our age, here's what we have accumulated, and here's our goal of retirement, and whatever Mm -hmm. that age is, 
And now let's look at all the different things that happen in between and after. So some of the very common things that we look at there are, number one question is, can I retire at my goal age? So we answer that question uh, and, and it, we, it, it can bring up a red flag too. Maybe it may not work that you can retire at that goal age. Maybe you've got to work a little bit longer. Or maybe you retire, but then you try to find something part-time for a few years just to add a little bit more cash flow to your overall situation for a few years. That can be tremendous in the planning process. The mm-hmm. second one is, so let's say I can retire. Now let's, let's talk about Social Security. When do I take that? I can take it as mm-hmm. early as 62. I can take it as late as 70. Everything I read says I should wait until 70 because that's the most I'll get from Social Security. But a retirement focus plan is going to help us really drill down as to what makes the most sense for that individual. When you read mm-hmm. these articles online, they're really talking to the masses, and, and that's why things can get a little bit misconstrued that everyone should wait till 70. Well, that's not always the answer. Um, then we get into, well, if there's a pension, what's the best way to take the pension? Um, if we talk about expenses, what are expenses going to be? And also, let's think about what we want retirement to look like. A lot of times we neglect, uh, we plan for retirement in the, same, in the sense of money, but we don't plan for retirement in the sense of, hey, what do we actually want to do? We've made it this far. What's going to keep us happy in retirement? Uh, for some, it's I, I would love to be able to travel because, you know, work was so busy, uh, the kids kept us so busy. We got them uh, out to college. They're successful now. We just want to travel because we weren't able to. For others, it was, hey, my career made me travel so much that all I want to do now is sit at home and hang out with the kids and grandkids. Um, so knowing what make what is actually going to make you happy in retirement, and then we build a spending plan around that. So a lot of times we'll have uh, a baseline spending, if you will, that's just you know, essential needs, and then we'll, we'll incorporate some type of fund fund for the next 10, 15 years into retirement, and then we'll, we'll take that away. So we talk, about, we talk about spending in retirement. Then we get down even deeper into the nitty-gritty of, well, all right, so we've, we've, we've done a lot here, but now let's talk about long-term care. Are we in a position to self-insure that, going to the, uh, you know, uh, are we able to afford that, or do we need to look into having some type of long-term care insurance, whether that's a traditional policy or a hybrid type of life insurance policy? Um, what if a spouse predeceases the other? Is the surviving one going to be okay? Um, and then from there, we can go in any direction. How do we handle Medicare? What supplements may we need? All of these questions start to come up once we have this baseline foundation of what retirement is going to look like and we start to look at all these different what ifs. So it's way more focused in, in the sense of your, your, the next section of your life versus trying to get to retirement, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And even little things like, you know, you mentioned this, what if something happened to a spouse, but what if something happens to a partner and you're not married? And the legalities change in terms of who gets what, unless that's really laid out very specifically. And so, you know, very important or now, you know, we're seeing this huge inflation and that's projected to to grow even more. And, you know, what does that do to your plan? You know, people should be reaching out to their financial planners probably again and, you know, taking a scoop and and go digging through everything again and going, okay, are we still okay? What's our risk here? 
I would imagine that you have, um, you had mentioned um, like long-term uh, care insurance and, and that's typically my understanding, something that people want, you know, prior to retirement at an earlier age, just so it's more affordable, but maybe things have changed since, since I looked into it. Um, what are your thoughts on long-term care insurance, especially for those that are dealing with, you know, potential dementia in their family? Maybe they haven't had any symptoms, but, you know, they're worried that, hey, this this could be me next or or someone in my family. Right. Yeah, and that's a big conversation that we have. We call that uh, that's part of our advanced planning process. But long-term care, it's, it's a tough one. Insurance in general is a very um, – a personal type of decision. There, you could throw all the numbers behind it that you want, but a lot of time, when the whole reason insurance is around, is because we have a we we need to transfer risk away from ourselves. So that's why we have car insurance because if something happens, we don't want to be fully on the hook for it. That's why we have homeowners insurance and all these different insurances. So the concept is transferring risk away, but we got to pay for that, and that's mm-hmm. where there's there's really two types of uh, long-term care insurance. There's the traditional that you kind of alluded to, which is basically saying, and you made a statement here, of let's buy it while we're young because it's more affordable. Well, that, that scope has changed a little bit because people that bought it while they were young, say you bought it in your 50s and the rates mm-hmm. seem pretty good. Well, the, the long-term care, the insurance industry in general didn't have any idea as to how uh, medical costs were going, going to go up at this exponential rate. They also didn't know and have any way of knowing, even though they're actuarially very sound plans, they had no way of knowing how long people are going to live. And so mm-hmm. they're having to cover quite a bit of expense. And what that has resulted in is the person that, that got that cheaper rate when they were 50, they've experienced quite a few rate hikes over the years. And so... To answer your question, do you buy it before you retire, it's really hard to say these days. Uh, The long-term care, traditional long-term care, while it's going to provide a very nice value if you do end up using it, it's expensive, and that's hard for some people to wrap their minds around paying. We have some clients today that are paying ten to 15000 a year in these long-term care policies for uh, for, uh, a couple, and their worry is that they may never use it or they may never uh, use it to the extent to, to even recoup what they put into it. Yeah. Um, so from there, take that concept of putting money in and not sure you're ever going to use it. From there evolved what we call hybrid plans that are essentially threefold. It's a life insurance policy. And what do you get with life insurance? Typically you're going to get a cash value and you're going to get a death benefit, right? Well, they mm-hmm. added on a third leg to these life insurance policies that are really access to your death benefit for a chronic illness or any type of long-term care scenario where you cannot do two out of the six activities of daily living. So um, it, it's nicer in the sense that you put money into this life insurance policy, but it doesn't disappear if, if you don't use it. It either mm-hmm. you, can, you have access to it while you're living from a cash value perspective. It, it'll go to a beneficiary if you don't ever use it from a, a death benefit perspective. And then if you need it for long-term care, it's got a, a value there as well. 
Um, so those have been ever more popular ever since we've seen the, the rate increases on the traditional monthly premium type of long-term care insurance. Well, and there's also been issues with long-term care. I know I've personally had a couple of people who have really had to get into battles and actually go to court because of the terminology. They, they bought it when they were when they were younger, and the terminology of what um, communities are even called is different. And so they're like, well, we're not going to cover that. And it's like, well, but that's what it was back then. You know, the name has changed from from memory care um, or to memory care from nursing home to, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, that's been, um, you know, that's expensive. That's stressful um, in and of itself. But the cost of care per month is, you know, it's up there and people are understanding that. So even when you're talking about the couple paying $10,000 a year, they also know that could be gone in a month um, if, they would need it. And again, that's, that's the big, the big trigger, you know, with all of this stuff uh, in terms of how is it going to be, um, how is it going to be managed and used and, um, you know, the ease of use where if you're doing your own investing, you get to choose how you're going to spend that money um, versus, you know, having to deal with an entity. But, but some people are very, very comfortable with insurance policies as well. So it just, it, it really depends. And it sounds like you guys are respectful of, of their choice in terms of educating them what's out there and, um, and letting them kind of create their plan um, once they're educated. In ter- because that's, to me, a big piece of, of feeling comfortable with your plan. Um, yeah, absolutely. These these plans are are complex, and so a big part of it is we we show them what the potential risk is, and then we educate them as much as we can, and then and then from there it's kind of well, which direction do you want to go in, and how much risk do you want to take, or how much risk do you want to transfer? A lot of times there's no right wrong answer. It's really just how much risk do you want to take. Do you want to take it all on yourself, or do you want to take it and transfer it over to an insurance company? Um, mm-hmm. And so we're we're very big on education, not just in the insurance world, but in the in all aspects of what we do. Um, that's why we created our podcast a couple of years ago, just to help put the word out there for all these terms and all these different things and strategies that are out there um, that could be overwhelming. You know, I happen to do it every single day, but that's not what you guys do. That's not what uh, people do. They they you know, we all have our own careers that we become experts in, but everything else can get a little bit confusing. Exactly. Um, I want your thoughts on the continuous care retirement communities and um, if you can explain to our audience how those work and maybe some benefits and, and downfalls because, I mean, to everything out there, there's a, there's a plus and a minus. <laughs> yeah, there's always pros and cons to everything. But um, I've only become a little bit more well-versed on these because we just have uh, a few clients here and there that are exploring uh, continuous care retirement communities, and we've ran, uh, we helped them out with the financial side to help them think through how are we going to pay for this, what is it going to project out like, and can we actually afford this. Um, but essentially, a continuous care retirement community, from my understanding, is a community that you go into, and sometimes the, the connotation can be a little negative, and it's it's not what everyone thinks. The, the connotation is, uh, we I hear it all the time from my clients, going into an old folks home. Well, it's not mm-hmm. quite that. Uh, it's actually a very nice community. We have quite a few in this area where I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, 
where you're pretty much going into apartment-style living, you have to enter independent. That's very important. You have to be independent when you enter, and you're just really transitioning from your own home into kind of an apartment-style or a condo or a, a, a small, small house style of living in this community. And now in this community, you've got services. A lot of that can be uh, you've got restaurants, you've got entertainment. It's kind of like one, one person said, it's kind of like our own little retirement resort that we're living at. Um, mm-hmm. So there are a lot of really nice amenities there. But the, the beauty of it is, say you have dementia in your, in your family history, or say you have some other illness that you're worried about, and you're worried about, you know, being at your home, maybe alone or whatever it is, this kind of solves that. Now you pay for that because these are not cheap places to be. Uh, and I can get into a little bit of the numbers in our area, but um, the, the what's nice about these is that you enter independent, but you are they have all of the facilities that you would need uh, to get you to the end. So uh, when it comes to nursing home care, they've got that. When it comes to assisted living, it's all built in. And the worst thing that you would do, from my understanding, is you would leave your two-bedroom or three-bedroom apartment, and then you would transition into a different um, room still on their campus, and so you still you still have people that you build build relationships with. You still have all the employees that you get to know over the years, um, but it's all kind of all in one place, which is what's attractive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now in our area, um, you have to think this through because the waiting lists for these types of places are getting very very long. One of our clients that I'm working with right now, uh, he just got called up basically to to uh to say that he wants to participate he put his name on a waiting list about seven years ago and he's just Mm -hmm. now getting called up and i think that list is only growing so you got to think it through the things you want to think through on those in your area you can always ask them hey what are the what are the fees and what are the fee structures there's different ways that you buy in on some ways you pay a lot up front and then you have a lower monthly you can call it a rent um, Mm -hmm. or you can kind of go down the line of where you pay not that much up front and you have a higher rent or you pay nothing at all, but then you have the highest rent. So you kind of want to think yep. through uh, which one may make the most sense for you. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that is, that is very true. And some people find some, you know, really good peace of mind sitting through and, and being able to be placed going, if I need more, it's there. I don't have to switch communities. You know, I'm just moving within it and, you know, still right. working with the same people and, and all of that. Uh, some people don't like putting down that big down payment, um, you know, in order to, to hold that place for them either. So, again, everyone is, is very, very different um, when it comes to this. I would imagine, Merz, that you have run into within your, your company – people who are in crisis, that all of a sudden there's a health issue. Um, it could be dementia. It, it could be a heart attack. And things have changed, and everything everything needs to be reevaluated. Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of times we're hopefully planning ahead of time for things that could happen, those big what-ifs that we have no idea what they are, but we know that it's very possible. But, yeah, um, uh, emergencies happen, accidents happen, and, and we got to find ways to work through it. Um, uh, there's a story that my business partner always tells about, um, and this is more of having, um, making sure that we have enough liquidity for those emergencies. 
but the story is basically we have a client that this was years ago got diagnosed with cancer and the, the treatment she went through the the standard treatment of chemotherapy and everything and it was not uh it didn't go well and they were basically saying that there's nothing left to do well she went and did some research and actually went uh found a program in Mexico that had a different treatment style but it was going to cost her quite a bit it was going to cost her about $150,000 to do this and there was no insurance involved um but to her it was 150,000 or there's nothing left to do and so mm-hmm. she went and did that and that reduced the size of the tumor enough to where um they could operate and successfully remove the tumor so you have those things that can come up and in her case it was well had we had structured things not properly it would have been very difficult to get it at 150,000 that she needed um but we are we're big on making sure that we think through and have enough liquidity for those emergencies that you know we have no idea what they are when we're planning mm-hmm. retirement we're planning the next 30 some odd years of our life and everyone's living longer and longer so we have to be very careful about the investment decisions we make Yep. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, sometimes when families are in crisis, it just complicates the whole process because people aren't sleeping, you know, they're not thinking as clearly. So it's so important to to have somebody that you trust and in, in terms of working out your financial plans because if you don't, that can complicate things um even more so. And I I would imagine you've seen people leave other planners and come over to your office. I mean, that's I, I hear those stories all the time where, you know, they're just not a good match anymore. Or I'll never forget the day one person I was, um, I was doing some education for some financial planners. And so I, um, I was interviewing people living with dementia and their care partners. And one man said, um, I switched financial planners because I bring my wife everywhere um, I go, um, though she's not able to be part of the conversation, I still want to know that that financial planner respects her, will welcome her to the room and greet her and give her eye contact and still talk with both of us, even if she's not um, able to, to make it, to be the decision maker. And he said, I was so offended and so hurt um, because this is somebody he had worked with for a long time. But he said, I will not have my loved one be disrespected in myself because of our situation. And so he pulled everything he had out and found somebody else to deal with. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's... um in some scenarios it's it's one one of the two of the couple that handles the finances and the other one may or may not be involved in the finances at all so a lot of times what we see is that someone's coming into our office because they want to have something in place just in case something happens to them they they're the one who handles the finances and they want to make sure that they can find someone they trust while they're living that if something happens to them they know their surviving person is going to be okay they're going to be well taken care of and again it all comes back to this idea of rapport building and trust building and and being honest and transparent um so that you know everyone can be on the same page have the same expectations and um have a good experience together 
Yeah. Well, and I think being being educated in terms of, um, and again, it's just a real simple thing, you know, in terms of dignity and how do you respect their their situation and and empathize with them and still be able to guide them at the same time versus having this discomfort. Um, when I was doing some training, I'll, I'll just give you an example. And this happened when I was in real estate too, when I was, uh, when I worked with the senior market. But when I was working with the financial planners, I found the same thing. I, you know, I, I said, they asked me, you know, well, what do people dealing with dementia need? And I said, they, they need resources. They need comfort. They need to be able to trust you um, and to explain things at their level, whatever that might be, because everybody comes waltzing in at different, different levels of knowledge um, with their finances. And I, I remember distinctly um, some planners came up and said, I'm not a counselor. I don't need to hear their story, and I don't want to hear their story, and I'm not going to be referring them out to anybody. That's not my job. And then I had other financial planners come up to me after I spoke in tears going, I totally understand what you're talking about. I, I've had a parent go, going through this, and we need resources, and I want to be that financial planner that also can give them a well-rounded connection um, to not only their their finances, but their emotional um, and physical needs as well. I want to be able to be there to support them. So what I know your company is has kind of a holistic look at that. Do you have a, a game plan or do you refer people out to additional, like if it's a support group or an organization that just might be able to give them a little bit more because it's not your area of expertise? Yeah, and we'll be the, the first to tell people that when something is not the area of our expertise. But yeah, we have some contacts um, and, and um, not necessarily support groups, but just ways that uh, people can get uh, a little bit more information. We've actually, because of our podcast, um, we interview quite a bit all over. So we just don't talk about financial finances. We talk about really three categories, finances, uh, legacy planning, and then also lifestyle. So what do you actually do in retirement? What are the things that come up? And we've interviewed quite a few that actually help, um, kind of like what you do, talking about Alzheimer's and dementia, uh, we interviewed, we've interviewed a few that we referred our clients over to that have been able to help them through whatever transition that they're working through, whether it's the loss of a spouse or, or an onset of some type of disease. Um, we've, we've met those contacts uh, uh, throughout our podcast um, uh, setup. And, you know, with the world that we live in now, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to you and I'm in North Carolina and I don't know where you're based in, but... With, with Zoom and everything, uh, you can pretty much talk to anyone that you need to, and it's it's way easier than it ever used to be. Mm-hmm. Yep, it, it really it really is. Um, it's so much easier, and I think people are waking up to realize that all resources don't have to be in your backyard anymore. That there's so so much help. I mean, Amazon and and COVID really opened that up, but I I still find that. Some businesses think they only need local resources. And, you know, to me, that is so limiting because they're, like you said, so many people are connecting on Zoom. Um, They, you know, there's so many different ways to be able to communicate and lift one another and 
different platforms. Uh, you know, there's so many different choices in terms of how how you get your information too. I mean, it's it's pretty spectacular the changes that have that have happened over the years. Um, it just kind of blows blows me away. Um, with all of that. So, well, thank you. I, I think that that's a really important piece um, for people to to be able to have. Um, do you hear, uh, you know, I, I, well, I should ask you, what what are people most scared of? Because I think fear stops people from stepping forward and making an appointment. So we've got about 10 minutes left. So what are the biggest hurdles that families have? So the biggest fear that I think retirees have or or families planning for retirement in general, I would say, is running out of money. Um, And that can be, uh, you know, we sat across families that have saved up a few hundred thousand for retirement. We sat across families that have saved up a few million dollars for retirement. And the worry is still the same. It's always, have I done a good enough job? And, you know, sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, Lori, sometimes it's the family that has less money is going to have a more sound financial plan. Um, it all depends on the intricacies of, you know, yes, saving is very important. I'll never downplay that. But what you plan on spending and how you, what type of lifestyle you plan on living in retirement is going to dictate whether you do well or whether you have issues in retirement from a cash flow perspective. So that's, I, I would mm-hmm. say, the number one issue. The other is, you know, maybe they had a scenario where they worked with an advisor in the past and they they feel like they got burned or they just um, um, never saw the performance that they wanted to see. That's always something that um, you got to weigh in your mind, you know, and that's always one that's bugging people too. Um, um, There's all kinds of things out there. and sometimes it's also maybe embarrassment. You know, maybe I haven't done a good enough job and I'm, I'm worried about sitting down and talking with someone, a professional that works in this world, and, and they're going to tell me that I haven't done a good enough job. And then maybe mm-hmm. I don't want to hear that from someone. Well, I think you definitely should hear that from someone because that, that, that helps you start to correct your path, whatever path you're on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, and it is it is when people are really fearful, and sometimes there's you know there's shame that oh I haven't done a good enough job, I haven't saved enough money, and you know no one's going to want to talk to me. I mean all of those types of things are I don't have that much to worry about. I mean we we come up with all kinds of things um, when we're in denial to move forward, <laughs> move forward and just kind of address things, and I think people find typically so much comfort once they take that step they just feel so much better um, because now they have they have better facts in terms of of what is possible you know with their with their life um, is there anything that that we didn't cover that you're thinking gosh we we really should talk about this before we end the show no I, I can't think of anything I know we've gone through uh, quite a bit here that I think is enough to absorb for any short uh, hour period that can make people start thinking about all these different things. You know, the, what, what I always say is that uh, when it comes to retirement, you know, we work so hard to get to this point. We, we put our head down, we do the work, we save the money, we raise our families, 
And whatever it is, it takes it, it's very difficult to get to this this concept that's been built up so well in our minds of enjoying retirement and having a, a very fruitful retirement. And, you know, one or two bad decisions can derail that. And so I would say, you know, if you're going to put in the work to get to it, I would say put in just as much, if not more, to make sure it's going to work for you in retirement. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a really good point because what works for your friend or your neighbor or, you know, another family member may not be even relevant for your for you and what's important to you. And I think that that is people get so comfortable sometimes with referrals. And I think referrals are great. And again, I'm going back to my old days when I sold real estate, but, you know, I would tell people, you know, what, what worked, you know, a personality style is also important in who you're dealing with. Um, And that personality style might've worked great for your great auntie Kay, but it's not necessarily going to be a great fit for somebody who's in their 20s or 30s or even their 50s. Um, you know, so I think personality style is really important, too, that you feel you're heard, um, that you, you know, feel comfortable. You don't feel intimidated or um, less than because you're, you're there to partner with this person um, to create the best possible plan. And so I, I, I sometimes think that that is overlooked as well when people are are going through any process, if it's a financial planner, if it's selling their house, if it's, I mean, it could be a million, zillion different things. Um, don't push aside your comfort because sometimes you can also get a gut alert um, that your your instinct is telling you, hey, this isn't good for you and you're, you're pushing it off to something else. And um, and I think that that's, that that's key too. And it sounds like you guys are really, with your holistic approach, very relationship-based. Um, sounds like you're good good listeners and asking, you know, powerful questions so that you can develop the best possible plan. So I really, I thank you for, for taking time to be with us. I am going to give a plug for one other um, organization, and I don't know if you've heard of them, MERS, but this might be something that if your company is not aware of um, that you might want to, kind of just put in your toolkit, and it's called Careful. And um, the website is getcareful.com. And what they do, and this happens often with people dealing with dementia, is they're not as good um, dealing with their finances as, as they used to be. So they may not have paid their bill for five months and all of a sudden the power is going to get turned off or they may have paid it five times in one month because they keep picking up the same piece of paper over and over and careful. You put in kind of all your, your bill pay things and it monitors via algorithms and sees if anything is off. And then it sends a notice out to whoever is in that care team. Um, so that you can hit things quickly. I've had a couple of friends whose whose parents, for example, um, were extremely savvy. And, um, you know, one was, you know, he was charging things and they didn't want him to charge. And they took the cards away and then he took the driver's license away. Well, then he just got an Uber and he still did what he wanted to do. And he was, you know, transferring funds and wasn't really making sense. And um, not only with his investments, but just with his purchases and stuff. 
Um, and I've heard mm-hmm. others where they'll go over to their parents and there's a pile of bills and nothing's been paid forever. And there's a notice on the door, you know, that there's there's real trouble ahead. But that can kind of, you know, that isn't the investment. That's the everyday piece that sometimes can help um, with, you know, being monitored if somebody doesn't have time for that. And, you know, typically, you know, anyways, from what I know, financial planners don't really monitor those types of things. Um, But it's all part of the piece in terms of financial well-being and, um, and stress and, and feeling comfortable that things are under control. So, again, it's just called Careful, and you would go to getcareful.com on that one. So thank you, Amir, so much for taking time to be with us. Again, you know, you can um, go to their website, which is net. P-O-M-Wealth.net, and uh, you can always call, and that number is 919-787-8866. And again, we have been talking with Merz Tariq with Peace of Mind Wealth Management, and um, fascinating conversation. Really appreciate all the information that you shared with us, Merz. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope you like, click, and share. Don't keep nuggets to yourself. Pass them along. Other people need knowledge, too. So when you find something that you find is useful and helpful, uh, like I said, pass it on. It's, It's the best medicine for all of us. Thanks, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.